But I'm continuing in Pastor George's series, and he's been going through the book of James. So I'm going to pretty much pick up where he left off, and I'm going to be in James chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 19. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, So right away, it sounds like it's going to be this nice, warm, and fuzzy message that will make you feel good. Dear brothers and sisters, let's see about that. He says, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. I guess it wasn't so warm and fuzzy because... Sometimes it is. Sometimes the word of God is just about love and God loves you and accepts you. And sometimes the scripture says that the word is like a sword to pierce your heart. Or it's like a hammer to break the hard places in us. And basically what that scripture is saying is that Christianity isn't mostly about what happens in church. It's mostly about how you live your life at home, at work, at school, while, while you're driving. How you, it's about how you relate to God, but it's also about how we relate to family and co-workers and friends and bosses. And it says that anger will not produce righteousness. Not even this kind of righteous anger. I deserve to be angry after what they did. Now they mess with the wrong person. God says, refrain from anger. Because anger and bullying and intimidation, it not only in the end will bring you down, but it will create an environment in your job, in the church, at home, where people feel unsafe, fearful, and manipulated. And the last part, it's saying that if you come to church and you hear messages, or you read the Bible at home, or go through devotionals, and it doesn't, how, it doesn't change how you live and treat others, that you are deceiving yourself. If you could come week after week and hear the preaching, and you go home and, 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 and still can be abusive, still hurt people, can still say, I just do things my own way, I don't care what anyone says, then the scripture says you're deceiving yourself. You could have stayed home and and watched TV instead because when you hear word, it's meant to transform you into the image of Christ. And if you can hear a message and it doesn't somehow impact how you live, 
then you're deceiving yourself that somehow showing up in church makes you right with God. See, being in this building right now doesn't mean that everything's okay between you and God. It's not about showing up. It's about how you, how you act when you walk out the door. See, everybody's holy in church. I, I never see people cursing out their husband or wife here. I never see people abusing their children here. It's about what you do when you walk out. Verse 26. It's going to get even warmer and fuzzier here. <laughs> Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Their religion is worthless. What's the big deal? It's just words. I'm not doing anything to anyone. Words can't hurt anyone. But the scripture says that the power of life and death is in your words. You can destroy someone. I, I've seen, I, I used to be a teacher for many years. And, and I worked with three and four year olds who were already so devastated by the things their parents spoke over them that I already knew that they were going to be gangsters and criminals by the time they were 15 and 16 because I saw the impact on those words. You'll never amount to anything. You're no good just like your father. And I'd see how it would change them, the, already the anger in, in their countenance, on their faces. There's power in your words. It, every time you speak a word, it's a container of spirit. When you bless someone, when, when I speak a scripture over you, I say, I bless you to excel. I bless you to prosper. I'm not just making you feel good, but I'm releasing the power of God. My word becomes a container to release the very power and presence of God over you to activate blessing. Well, when my words come into agreement with hell, and I begin to tear you down, tear you up, my words become real little containers of evil. And it can destroy you. It, it can stop you in your tracks. It's not just words. In, in Isaiah 58 verse 9, God says, If you want to be right with me, do away with the pointing finger and the malicious talk. 2 Corinthians 12.20 says... Get rid of the slander and the gossip and the put-downs. The, the words of judgment, the labeling of people. That does not belong among the people of God. I, we have to speak words that build up. Words of life. Words of encouragement. I, I see Christians, they don't have to say anything bad at all. Here's, here's what happens in a lot of churches they go to. They don't have to say one bad word. All they got to do is point to someone and say, 
There's just something about that person, but I can't put my finger on it. If you can't put your finger on it, then shut up. You see, the people that you're tearing up with your words, here's why words are important. Here's why God is saying to, to watch what you say. Because the people that you're, that you're speaking to, that you're harming, are the apple of God's eyes. They're his precious treasures. They're sons and daughters of the Father and the bride of Christ. Don't speak to anyone the way that you wouldn't want someone to speak to your wife or husband. Don't speak to anyone in any way that you wouldn't want someone to speak over your children. Because these are the children of God, the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ who, who carry great value in the eyes of God. You know what it means? that People are the, are the apple of God's eye. When I go and hurt another Christian, it's like I'm poking my finger in the eyes of God. We have to weigh what we say. God does not like gossip. He doesn't like speaking words of slander, judgment, putting people down. In fact, the Lord is showing me that there's many of you here... And people have done that to you in the past. As people have gossiped about you, maybe even in the house of the Lord. People have put you down, mocked you. I, I just want to break that off you right now in Jesus' name. I break off the people of God. Every word, every wrong word, every judgment, everything, every word of gossip that was spoken against you, in every place where you've been misjudged, I decree and declare that those words have no more power over you in Jesus' name. You are not defined by what somebody spoke over you. I don't care if it was a whole church that labeled you a nobody and nothing. I break that right now in Jesus' name. Because you are who God says that you are. Not what people have labeled you. It doesn't matter if it was your own parents, a pastor, a boss. You are only defined by the word, very word of God. So I'm going to continue. I'm going to go down now to James chapter 2, verse 1. It says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
See, there was a problem in the church back then. If somebody prominent, a celebrity, a rich person came into the church, they'd bring them right up to the front seats, just like they do in a lot of churches today. They, they judge who the person is. And if you're important enough... Oh, we got a seat just for you in the front. But if a homeless person or a poor person comes in, well, there's no more seats. You could stand or sit on the floor or go in the back somewhere. That's judging through the eyes of the world. We're not to see people through the eyes of the standards of this world or treat them as the world does. See, in the eyes of this culture, money, clothes, fame, the size of your house, the value of your car makes you somebody in their eyes. It's not that way in the kingdom of heaven. How many of you are part of the kingdom of heaven today? You're not of this world. You're of another kingdom, of another world called the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, the scripture says that the glory and the beauty of the Lord is a crown on your head. In other words, God has made you important. God has given you value. You are beautiful in the eyes of God. And we have no right to look at people according to the standards of this world. God loves, is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care if the president, a movie star walks in. They're no more important to him than, than if a prostitute or a vagrant or a homeless person walks through the door. They are all precious in the eyes of God. And he says, you have judged evil. If you see a difference, if you treat people with partiality because of this, how much money they have or the race or social status, there is no elitism in the kingdom of heaven. Every one of you is fully loved, equally important. And beautiful. Did you know that you are beautiful in the eyes of God? You see, in verse 13, it says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. In other words, there might be some truth when I point to a person and say, That person is a failure. That person falls short. If I point someone out, you see that person over there, they, they messed up their life. They're, that's a loser right there. There might be some truth to it, but the mercy of God is greater. You see, I, I pray right now that God gives you eyes of grace and mercy, eyes of compassion to see people not as the world sees them, but by the, how the Father sees them. There, there's a difference between God's grace and his mercy. Grace means that God gives me what I don't deserve. If I hurt someone... I don't deserve to be forgiven. I knew what I was doing, but God forgives me anyway. That's a free gift. I don't deserve it, but he gives it to me. 
Mercy is different. Mercy means I don't receive what I do deserve. I'll tell you one thing. I don't deserve to be a pastor. If you knew the things I did in my past, the stupid decisions I made, you, you would come and get some of these big ushers and try to throw me off. It's a good thing I'm too tough for all of them. I'm ready. Bring them on. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. Right, Derek? You say, I don't deserve to be standing here right now. I stand here by the mercy of God. He doesn't give me what I deserve. I have no right to stand here and preach the word of God, the things I've said in my life, the wrong judgments I've made, all the stupidity and the failure of the past. But I thank God. Let's just take a minute and thank him for his mercy. God, we thank you that you are a merciful God. Father, we deserve to lose our marriage, but you kept it, Lord God. Father, we deserve to be totally broke from the way we spent our money, Lord God. But Father, we thank you that in your mercy that you provided, Lord God. He's a merciful God, and that's how we need to look at people. Through those are the eyes that God wants us to have. Look into the eyes of broken, messed up people. And I want you to see destiny and possibility. And I also want you to look at yourselves through the eyes of mercy. That you would see the beauty and the greatness in yourself that the Father sees in you. It doesn't matter how much money, education you have, how nice your car is. In the eyes of a loving father, you could see yourself as having been made worthy. You have been redeemed. What does the word redeemed mean? It means God has restored your value. You are his treasure. You are a pearl of great price in his eyes. You, that's how you need to look at yourself. It's not you see other people that way, but you need to start seeing yourself that way. Not through eyes of self-hatred and rejection. I break that off your life in Jesus' name. Father, release eyes of mercy, eyes of grace, eyes of love that see the beauty, Lord God. When it seems like there's no beauty, Lord God, you show us in each person, God. And we thank you, Lord God. In First Peter chapter 3, verse 3, <clears throat> it says, Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within. 
the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is so precious to God. See, this scripture was meant to set women free. And it applies to men too. It's saying that you are not defined by your outward appearance, by how much gold jewelry you have or how fancy your hairstyle is. And a bunch of religious fanatics took that scripture and perverted it and said, well, it means women can't wear makeup, they can't can't wear nice clothes, you can't do your hair. It just put another burden on women when this scripture was meant to set women free and say, don't worry about the standards of this world. It's great to to look nice and to do your hair. You can wear gold. But the scripture saying that's not what defines you. The beauty of a person is comes from within. And you are beautiful in the eyes of God when you walk with God in his spirit. So I'm going to skip now. I'm going to go to Luke chapter 7. Because I want to talk about a character in the Bible that that I believe fits these scriptures in, in the book of James. And it talks about a Jewish religious leader named Simon. In Luke seven thirty six, and Simon, the religious leader, he had a dinner in his home and he invited Jesus. Well, in the neighborhood, it says, there was an immoral woman of the streets known to all to be a prostitute. And when she heard about Jesus being in the house, she crashed the party. Do you know what a cat says when he leaves a party? He says, me out. (laughs) Oh, come on, that's funny. They couldn't resist that one when they read party. When they heard party, something just rose up in me. I had to say that too. Pastor George, you could edit that out of the tape later if you want. And she had this flask, a box made out of alabaster. And in it was this perfume, which was very valuable perfume worth a whole year's wages. Everything she worked for for a whole year, she used to buy that perfume. And she took the perfume and she poured it out on Jesus as an act of worship. Everything that she had... This sinful, immoral woman, and she, and she washed his, she washed his feet with her hair and her tears, because back in those days, that when you'd go to someone's house, your feet would be dirty because they didn't have sneakers and shoes back then. They had sandals, and somebody would wash your feet. Well, nobody did it. They would take some perfume and anoint the person. They would give the person a kiss. Well, nobody did that but this woman who everybody scorned and disdained. She took everything she had and poured it out as an act of worship. Well, Simon, the religious leader, he saw what was happening and he said about Jesus... This man, Jesus, he can't really be a true prophet 
Because if he was a true prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman this is. He said, if you knew what manner of woman was worshiping you and touching you, you would have nothing to do with her. You would kick her out the door. You see, this religious leader looked into the eyes of a woman who Jesus had forgiven and judged her by her past and saw an ugly, useless, and shameful woman, a woman who Jesus had made holy. In verse 47, it said she had been forgiven and and of all her, her sins. And in response, she showed Jesus extravagant love. She poured out the love. And another verse talking about the same thing. When, when the disciples saw all the perfume poured out, they said, why all the waste? Why is she wasting herself on Jesus? Why is she pouring out everything? Why? Because those who have forgiven much love much. You see, religious, self-righteous hypocrites, they point out the sin in others, but never see the darkness in their own hearts. You see, Jesus was not like the world. He showed honor to people even before they deserved it. He, he ate with tax collectors who were the biggest cheaters back in those days, and the criminals and the prostitutes, not to do what they did, but to show them honor. That's what we're called to do. People are made in the image of God, and we're to, we're to treat them the way that Jesus would treat them. Here's a quote from Bill Johnson. As a forgiven son, I am justified, cleansed, and washed clean. This is a greater reality than my sinful past. Don't allow people to label you by by your past failure. Even if that failure was last week, that's not who you are. This woman was not that woman she used to be. But yet when the religious people, the hypocrites, finger pointers saw her... All they could see was failure. All they could see was a social outcast and reject. You don't belong among us. But yet Jesus said, everywhere the gospel will be preached throughout the ages, people will speak about this woman. Because she might be ugly to you, but in my eyes she's beautiful. So I want you to hear a testimony right now from someone else who Jesus has washed clean and and made beautiful. So I'm going to ask Melissa to come up. Good morning, church. Um, So I'm super, super nervous, so bear with me. So when I was asked to come up here and preach, 
I mean, preach, oh my gosh, to give my testimony, my God. It's because I looked at Pastor George, and I'm just so nervous. Um, so I said, preach, sorry. Um, the first thing I thought was, God, why me? I'm not worthy enough to be up there. Um, there have been times I've been so hopeless and have full of doubt, and I felt like, why would you choose me of everyone in this church who is so faithful? Why me? Um, and I was dealing with that all week, and as Pastor Gary sat here and he gave, he, he spoke the word, I started to realize why. Um, one of the first things I did when I was asked to do this was re I researched what the word restoration meant. And it said the action of returning something to a former owner or place um, or condition. Um, so when I thought of that, I thought to myself, well, that means that my owner is God and I have to get back to where he wanted me to always be. And because life really hurt me, I, it took a long time to get to this place. So I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I, at three years old, I was uh, taken away from my mother and my father, my sister and I, because both my parents were drug addicts. Um, so we got, uh, my, our grandmother took us um, into custody. Um, she was obviously a grandma, so she was older. Um, and she had my uncle as well. Uh, my uncle was about, he was older as well. Um, and when we went to live with our grandma, I really didn't realize, like I always thought she was just like my mom. Like, she's my mom, that's it. Um, but then I started to realize that my mom wasn't around. Um, and I didn't know why she wasn't around. And I start, as I grew up, I started to feel really unworthy because I didn't understand why my dad and my mom didn't choose me. Instead, they chose the life of the streets and they chose drugs. So I grew up feeling really unworthy and I was different. You know, I was a little crazy, I was very outgoing and my sister was always well-behaved, super smart and I was the total opposite. I wasn't the brightest and I had to work really hard in order to get things um, and you know, my uncle was, you know, what they called el nene in the Spanish culture because he was just the boy and anything he did was great and nothing that me and my sister ever did was enough. Um, but my sister was the smart one and the calm one, so it was always like, why can't you be more like Nadia? Why can't you be more like Nikki? And I was just Melissa. Like, I was just me. Um, and as time went on, like, because I was different, my grandma would get frustrated with me and say you know, really just mean things to me, you know. Um, you know, I was different, and since my dad was Peruvian and my, me and my sister had different dads, they would call me La Peruana. So whenever I was bad, it was like, again, La Peruana is, is acting up, and, you know, she's doing this, she's doing that, and I was just always treated so differently. Um, and a lot of times was told that I was not going to amount to anything, that I was just trouble, and just on and on. And I grew up feeling like that. So the, the level of unworthiness and value was never there. Um, so as time went on, my, uh, at 20 years old, I lost my mother uh, to the AIDS virus. Um, and that changed so much. 
What I thought was crazy before, I lost it for real. I buried my mother on a Sunday and I was back at school in college on a Wednesday. And I drank, I partied. If there was a bar and a party open, Melissa was there. Just being crazy and just not okay. And as time went on, you know, then my dad died 10 years later. Um, my dad was using drugs at the end of his life and he got sent off to Peru. And in Peru, he was actually murdered by his own sister. She poisoned him. So that does something to you. You don't know what your value is. You don't understand why, God. Like, why would you take them? And why did I have to hear all these things about myself? And as time went on, I couldn't understand. So I took a lot of value in what I looked like. You know, I always was just like, well, I just need to do my hair and just always pretend as if everything was okay. But inside, I was broken. I was so broken inside by what family said. And even I remember when my mom died, um, I was with a guy at the time that wasn't really well, but I, really good. So I wanted him to come to the burial, and I had an argument with my uncle. And I'll never forget what he said to me on, like, literally, the, I think it was the morning of the wake. And he said, you know what? You're just trouble. You're never going to amount to anything. So you know what? Bring whatever piece of crap boyfriend you have. Just you're never going to amount to anything. And those were his words to me, the, the, like, basically the morning or the day before the wake. So that does something to you after a while. Um, so as time went on, I, I got really depressed. Um, I was, I several times tried to take my own life. I'm not proud of that, but I did. And there was one time that it got so bad, I told my grandma that I wasn't feeling good, and, and I said, I'm just, I, I'm just going to walk into the hospital and just tell them to take me because I'm not okay. And I walked up to the Westchester Square Medical Hospital, two blocks down, and told the doctors, just take me in because if you don't, I'm going to kill myself. And it's funny how when I came to the sanctuary, I had to pass those, that hospital. And I'm so thankful that God didn't, didn't allow that to happen and didn't allow the enemy to take my life because my life changed. I gave, uh, my sister introduced me to church and I started to uh, go to the church with her and I, and I liked it and I was happy being there, but I knew that I, did, I didn't find what I needed. Um, so I was in search of, you know, of a church. In the midst of that, I quit my job. I used to actually be a publicist in New York City. I worked with uh, celebrity clients. I worked with businesses. I was doing really good in my career. And I just said, you know what? This, this seems so empty. I need something more. So at 30 years old, I quit my job. I took about a, t a really significant pay cut, and I started to get into education. I became a power professional at 30 years old, working with children. The first child I ever had was an emotionally disturbed child who would literally, he was seven years old and would flip the whole entire classroom upside down, and it was my job to calm him down. And he was just a hurt baby who needed love, who needed something. He needed to be told that he was loved. But a lot of times he didn't understand that. So I was in my career and I actually, 
I realized working with these children, because I work in special education, that these children, like Pastor said, are spoken over their lives' negativity from the moment sometimes they are born. They're not spoken to. They're not cared for. They're, they're, they don't have any love. And what I realized as I was in education and I was working with these children that I had to go through what I went through as a child. I had to feel unworthy. I had to feel, go hear those words spoken over me because my job now is to take care of those children and give them the love and support that they need. So if it took me having to go through that, because every one of those children are my babies. Um, so I, I realized that as time went on, I have been broken. There have been many times that I have stood in the back serving coffee completely broken, but if I could smile and just press on, then it would be okay. And as, as I was like thinking about this and, and thinking about my testimony, I just kept wondering, God, why me? Like, why me of all people in the world? And I just knew that I was an angry person, I was bitter, I was frustrated, but when I gave my life to God, all that outer beauty that I was trying to seek, I was so broken and, and, and just, but inside I was, I was just not okay. And when I started to come here to the Sanctuary Fellowship, I started to find restoration. I started to find healing through the words of Pastor George. It was here that I found a lot of my peace and the joy that comes in life. And I'm just so thankful for so many of you that are here. I'm so thankful for Pastor George and Pastor Michelle because what they have done is that they have brought people to, you know, they've been given a gift of a church and they have just, there, I see so much healing in this house. Even from me, like, I never thought I could be whole again because life really hit me. It wasn't just my parents who I had lost. I fell in love with someone who really broke my heart. And that was hard. And not only that, but, you know, I stand before you still feeling a little bit hopeless because I'm finding that as a single woman, Am I supposed to find my value in a husband and children? But I don't think that's it. I think God has done something different in my life, and that will come, and the glory, when that does come, will be amazing. But now, but right now, my job right now is to be an educator and, and help these children. And all those words that were spoken over me, and they just weren't, that's not who I am. And God has restored me. God has changed me. God has stepped in in so many situations and made a way when there literally was no way possible. And I'm thankful to God every single day because even in my brokenness, even in my brokenness, he has found a way to make me somewhat whole. And I'm, I'm working towards getting fully there, but I, my, my wonderful cousin told me, you'll never really feel whole. You're always a work in progress till you go back to your king. Um, so I just, 
I'm thankful for the journey that has brought me here. I'm thankful to to every person who did say a bad word about me because it made me resilient because every time I fall, every single time I fall, God finds a way to pick me up and make me who I need to be. So like Pastor Gary said, you know, sometimes I am the apple of of someone's eye and that's God. And I have searched my whole life. When you don't have a mom or a dad, and you feel like an outcast, you don't feel like you're anybody's apple of their eye. Your mom's apple. I don't know what it was like to be the apple of my mom's eye or the apple of my dad's eye. I didn't know. I didn't have that. But as I started to come to the Sanctuary Fellowship, I realized that I was the apple of someone's eye, and it was God and Jesus's. I'm there. I'm their apple of their eye. And as much as I seek acceptance, as much as I seek that, like God gives me that no matter what. His mercy gives me that every single time. And I'm just at the end of this all. I'm just really, really thankful to God for this church. What Pastor George and Pastor Michelle are doing is amazing. And I love them so dearly because I do look at them as spiritual parents. Because they are guiding so many of us. And I can't thank them enough for what they do. So um, just thank you for listening to my testimony. And I hope that I encourage someone and just have hope. And I saw something today that I felt like, I don't know if it goes with what I'm saying, but I felt like maybe someone needed to hear it. Uh, it says God will restore everything that was stolen you will recover you will bounce back better days are coming blessings are coming your way what's about to happen next will cause you to rejoice God is up to something incredible so I saw that today and I thought that's something I wanted to share so be resilient And God will be with you and pick you up every step of the way. So, thank you. see, God takes you in your hurt, your shame, your abuse, your brokenness, your failure, your sin and rebellion, and he creates beauty and value and righteousness. See, God's not interested in fixing up the mess you made in your life, but he wants to make all things new. There's always a new start, a new beginning in him. So I'm going to go back and close um, with James chapter 2, verse 8. And I'm going to ask Nadia is going to come up, so if she could um, make your way up now. It says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, 
you are doing right. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? I don't want to be gossiped against or mocked or bullied or abused. So I love you too much to do that to you. That scripture gives you permission also to love yourself. Not in a prideful or narcissistic kind of love like the world does. But God wants you to feel loved and valued and beautiful. We want to give you permission to begin to value yourself. Love yourself. Not, not, again, not in the worldly way, well, I'm better than anyone else. I'm number one. I come first. But love needs to be sacrificial in the word of God. But love yourself in the way that God loves you. That you are so precious in his sight. And, and Nadia had asked me to sing this song a few weeks ago before she even knew which scripture I was going to preach on, and I didn't even know because I was because of I preached based on what's the next scripture in the book of James. So it shows how God is working everything together. But before you sing the song, I'm, I'm going to ask everyone to stand because I, I want to confess something to you. I might be a pastor. Maybe I've been saved for 30 years. But there are days and times where that voice keeps playing in my head. You're a loser. You're still a mess. Something wrong with you. Why can't you just be like all the other pastors? Why can't you just fit in? That voice keeps going diminishing the sense of, of the love I have for myself. And, and the Lord showed me that I wouldn't be the only one here today that struggles with that, that has that voice telling you, you're, you're not all that, you're not who God says. God loves everyone else, but how could he love someone but you? If that's you today, would you join me up here? And Nadia, she's going to sing this song over you. So is anyone bold enough, if you're willing to admit right now, I, uh, it, I struggle with that. Sometimes you just got to be real and not care what other people think. I, I don't like confessing that, that I'm a pastor and there are times I feel like nothing, like worthless. And before you sing, I'm, I'm going to ask the, those who are going to help me pray, those from the men's ministry that Derek asked, the leaders from the women's ministry, the outreach ministry, the care ministry. If you'll come and stand with these people, going to ask leaders to come. Prayer people to come. I don't, I don't want people standing alone right now. 
pastors, on the spouses, deacons. You know how worship team? Just come and find someone and say, maybe you don't feel beautiful, but I see the beauty in you. I see who God made you to be. Just receive this song right now that Nadia is going to sing over. I am clean. 
service a little differently today. I'm going to ask Pastor George to come. And I want to question, when you look out here and you see these people, what do you see? What, what does God show you when you look out among his people, his children, his bride? I think that's simple that was the title of your message we see beautiful people not perfect people definitely not people that have it all together but beautiful people and um tough for me because I answered the altar call too so I just in him I feel beautiful (laughs) even if you haven't seen it even if nobody's ever told you that there's so many fathers and mothers and uncles brothers and sisters here man there's nothing more beautiful than that when somebody that doesn't know you will come and stand next to you and just stand next to you just because they feel like you might need somebody to stand next to or just maybe because we need somebody to stand next to and so this this afternoon I guess we all just kind of stand next to each other and thank God that we have fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers here. Amen. So you're beautiful people. Father, I thank you for beautiful people, God. I thankful, Lord God, that you don't see us in the dirty way that we see us sometimes. But like that song says, you you see us clean, God. Your word says in Ephesians, even before the creation of the earth, you chose us to be holy and blameless before you. You chose us for adoption. You brought us into the family, Lord. 
So, Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your blessing. We thank you for family today. Help us, God, to take it beyond these walls, beyond these borders, beyond these boundaries, to be your light and to be a blessing outside of here. Like Pastor Ephraim would say, you are blessed. We are blessed to be a blessing. Amen. Love you guys.